This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. The battle of the Christmas movies has begun in our house. There are those movies that, because we love good story, we love good movie, we, we, we appreciate the art form uh, in our home. Uh, there are those that we would say are our standard, traditional, special Christmas movies you just have to watch when the Christmas season happens, right? You know, White Christmas, right up there. Um, Elf, yeah, give or take, go either way. Christmas Carol, these types of stories that are good, good stories. And there's no arguing. This is a story. We've got to watch this movie. But there's another group of movies that are up for debate on whether or not these movies should participate in the Christmas season. As you can guess, she has a list. I have a list. And they're not the same list. Not even close. Case in point, over the weekend, she says, let's watch a Christmas movie. Yes! Let's watch a Christmas movie. Love watching Christmas movies. And she's just going through, let's watch a castle for Christmas. I'm like, yes, soldiers and knights. And I'm thinking we're going to get like Braveheart as they're battling and they're they're charging forward to retake the castle from the evil queen who stole the golden nativity set. Like, this will be awesome. Castle for Christmas. This, This is what I got, though. Yeah. It was not Braveheart in hats. A castle for Christmas. So my suggestion was we watch Die Hard, which is also a Christmas story. And I told, it's a love story about a husband and a wife that get to back together during a Christmas party. I don't think anyone would believe that, but <laughs> the battle of the Christmas stories has begun. On what makes a good story? What makes a good story? Someone said that a story is when somebody has a before and an after. A story is when somebody has a before and an after. Before there was this. After there's this. Before there was darkness, after there's light. Before there was hopelessness, afterwards there's hope. Before it's isolation and it's loneliness and it's pain, after there's love and there's relationship and there's goodness and there's grace. And Advent is the invitation to come back to the great story. In the midst of whatever is going on, in the midst of all the stories, to come back to the great before and after. To re-anchor and establish ourselves into what should be matter, what should matter. Where we, we, we revisit, revisit important words like hope. And enjoy words like love. And today, words like peace. To be reminded of the before and the after and what goes in the center. What is the great story? 
we've done this before, but it's, it's important to remember. Or you don't get Christmas, you certainly don't get Advent. And even to put it through the filter of peace, okay? In the beginning, the Bible starts. There was a participation with God in peace. God says, I want to rule, I've created, and I want to rule this cosmos, and I want to do it through humanity. That's the intention, that's the plan. A partnership where we rule, and God is ruling through us to bring about flourishing and, and goodness, to help everything thrive, and there's agreement, and people are participating, and humans are to do what they are called to do, and creation does what it's created to do, and God is providing and being the source of love and life in and through all things. That's where the story starts. We call it Eden. It's good. And, and humans like most of that story. Yes, we like the ruling part. God, we just don't want to do it with you. In fact, we think we could do it better. And so the participation in peace became a broken peace. As chaos flies in and, and Adam and Eve, humanity is cast out of participation with God and, and in comes death and in comes brokenness and in comes sin, chaos and all of its shades and all of its colors. And humanity now moves down this path of death. And story after story after story in the beginning of the Bible, you see what? One level of chaos after another. We're murdering and we're exploiting and we're judging and it's chaos upon chaos upon chaos. This is what humanity does when you kick God out of the story. This is, this is, this is the story. You kick God out, this is what you get. But when we see that grace will not be stopped and God will not be stopped, and so almost in this very subversive, silent way, underneath all the chaos, God begins a path of peace, a way of peace. Or through woman, man, and one family that grows and grows and grows. He says, I, I will bring peace. I will. I will, I, I will fix this. And promise after promise after promise in the Old Testament the shades and the shapes begin to come together to see that there is one who is coming, a prince of peace, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, who will fix all of this. Right? All the brokenness and all the sin and all the death and all the failing, there's one coming who will fix all of this. The center of the story, what turns the before into the after. And then Jesus, he initiates our Prince of Peace. He initiates a movement of peace that we now get to participate in, of making things right again, culminating in this glorious restoration of what was supposed to be and we saw at the beginning. This is the great story. This is the before and this is the after. This is bigger than Christmas, okay? Christmas is 23 minutes on December 25th where everyone fights over who unwrapped what and should have gotten and now don't forget the deviled eggs because we have to get to your mother's house and I can't wait till she gives me her ideas. <laughs> that's, that's Christmas. This is Advent. This is when we slow down and we light candles and we remember the story, the great story of the before, the darkness, 
the after, the sunrise, and he that is in the middle. That's hard. That's hard. It's simple. It's hard. Because there's lots of competing stories out there. There's a lot of competing before and afters out there. And it's easy to get swept up and caught up in that narrative. And you have to hold on to and anchor yourself into God's story to remember that, that Jesus goes in the center. It's pointless trying to talk about all the many ways that the world screws it up. People screw it up and governments screw it up. Cultures screw it up. All you need to remember is what is a true story. The true story is when Jesus is in the center. That's how you know it's the right story. That's how you know you're telling the right story. So if you're getting a story about hope, but Jesus isn't at the center of it, it's a false hope. If someone's trying to tell you a story about joy, but Jesus isn't at the center of it, it's a false joy. If it's a story about love, but Jesus isn't at the center of it, that's a false love. And today, if someone is trying to pitch you peace and how to get peace, but Jesus isn't in the center of it, I promise you, that's, that's a false, false peace. To help us this month, we're going to keep coming back to the shepherds at the birth of Jesus. They will do something for us. They are a part of the invitation of God to be at the story, to be present at the manger, to leave darkness and chaos behind and, and see the story turn. I mean, there have been times where we've talked and, and taught through uh, you know, Mary's perspective or the wise men. or There's many ways of coming at the birth of Jesus. But let's let the shepherds speak to us this season. So uh, if you would find Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to begin just a couple verses before we get to 2, but if you can find Luke 2, you're in the right spot for this morning. Within this narrative are three little vignettes where peace is featured. It kind of captivated my attention this week. And I want to share them, share them with you. Uh, it's the writer's show and tell, if you will, of of the key ideas that come together when we speak of peace as God's peace. So please, please stay with me. Maybe you've come this morning, as, as Sarah mentioned, or as Aaron had mentioned, and maybe you've come in through the doors and chaos is hot on your heels. And you know chaos very well. And you feel the darkness the Bible would invite you to see something differently and give us a way to see the story turn. In Luke chapter 2, 
we are invited into what we call the Christmas narrative. But I want to give you a little bit of the story before that part of the story. And that happens in Luke chapter 1. And we're going to look at verse 79 together. But what gets us there is the fact that a man named Zechariah was a righteous and a godly, a good man. He was a priest. And it was his turn to go to the temple to sacrifice incense upon the altar. This is a tremendous honor for him. Might only happen a couple times in your life if you're a priest. And so he goes there, and as he's in the process of being in the Holy of Holies, an angel appears and says, you're going to have a son. <laughs> uh-uh. My wife, she old. I'm old. I don't see any of this. Is, there's no, how could this possibly happen in our old age? They've wanted a child for years and years and years, but he's just overcome with disbelief. He says, oh, you are going to have a son, and he will be a herald of the Most High. He will pave the way for the one who is to come. But because of your disbelief, I'm going to take your voice away. And so throughout the whole pregnancy, he doesn't have his voice until the moment where the son is born, when John, we call John the Baptist, is born. And the family fights as families fight over what the name's going to be. I'm sure you've never had a family fight, right? You've never gone at it over anything, I'm sure. Oh, what should his name be? Well, I think he should be named after his father. No, he should be named after the maternal grandmother's second cousin because that name's, and they just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And finally, out of obedience, Zechariah says, no, his name will be John. And then he gives this amazing prophecy. A prophecy is when someone speaks God's words, Okay. And this is what he says. I want you to focus in on verse 79, but I'm going to get us into it by starting in verse 76. This is, this is Zechariah the father, filled with the Spirit, speaking about the ministry of what abouts to happen. Verse 76, you, child, talking about his child, verse 76, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his way. This is what a herald would do. The herald would go ahead and say, the king's on the way. Hey, clean the house, sweep the floors, wash the dishes, king's on the way. Hey, whatever you, the king's on the way. This is what John's going to do. He's going to be a herald. To give knowledge of the salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death. Right, just, just before I finish, Zechariah is saying, we're going to see a story. There's going to be a before, and there's going to be an after. We've been living in darkness, and we've been living in night. One is coming who will bring sunrise. And John, you're going to pay, you're going to help us know who that person is. And then to finish verse 79, to guide our feet into the way of peace. To guide our feet into the way of peace. What an interesting phrase. That really kind of, kind of, like, where does that come from? Like, where do you get that? That this whole prophecy is really um, Zechariah cherry picking promises throughout the Old Testament and kind of pressing them all together. But where did that come from? That idea of way of peace. So I started poking around and brought up my you know, fancy, expensive biblical search engine. I said, way of peace, where's that at? 
And it comes from Isaiah 59. And I, I want to show it to you because it helps us, again, anchor ourselves in the story. Isaiah 59. I want you to really see verse 8. I'm going to read into verse 8, starting in verse 1. See if you can see what part of the great story is the prophet Isaiah describing here. Behold, the Lord saying, this is verse 1, Isaiah 59. It is not shortened that it cannot save. Or is ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquity have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. God didn't mess this up, he's saying. Your guilt, your rebellion. Verse three. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity, your lips Speak lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. He's talking about suit like a lawsuit. Justice. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies and conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adders' eggs and they weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies and from one that is crushed a viper is hatched. I won't get into what's, ugh, it's gross. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity. Their deeds, their actions are violence in their hands. Their feet run to evil. They're swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation, destruction are in their highways. Verse eight, here it is. The way of peace they do not know. There is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. What part of the story do you think Isaiah is talking about and describing there? It's the broken part. Isaiah looks and he says, hey, God's not the one who did this. Our sin, our iniquity, what we do with our hands and what we do with our mouth and what we do with our feet, our actions, how we despise and disregard and, and the injustice that's prevalent everywhere, how we exploit one another. This is not the way of peace. This is the way of death. That's, that's where we live. We live in the way of death. We don't know what it means to walk in the way of peace. There is no peace. There is no peace on earth, I said, Walt Whitman. The Apostle Paul will pick this up and he'll kind of rearrange it himself. You know, you can hear one Christmas song done by like 500 different artists. You know, it's just... It's their version of Joy to the World. No, now it's their version of Joy to the World. It's, it's the same song, but it's just arranged a little bit differently, their own twist. Well, the Apostle Paul does something very similar in Romans chapter 3, where he takes what's going on here in, in Isaiah, 
and he puts his own little spin and arrangement, does a little bit of his own cherry picking, but a lot of the same themes of Isaiah, man, right there in Romans 3 is the Apostle Paul's trying to get Gentiles and Jews to walk together. He says, hey, it's all broken. This is Romans chapter 3. Let me read for you uh, verse 9, and we're going to hit it at verse 17. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongue to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. Here it is. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. They don't know the way of peace. We don't know the way of peace. This is the before. This is the darkness. This is all of that. We don't know that path. And so it's interesting. What does Zechariah said at the turning of the tide? John, you're going to lead us to the one who will guide us in the, the way of peace. If you continue in Luke, the theme of peace continues. Words that we've heard before, if you've watched Charlie Brown Christmas, this is what Linus says on the stage when he drops his blanket. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8, I'm going to read, uh, read through it just so we can hear these, these good words. kind of gets a hold of our heart. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. Angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. Stop. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. So if you're writing notes, the very first thing I'd want you to write down in quotes is the way of peace. Okay, we saw that in Isaiah, we saw that in Romans, okay? There is this thing that's called the way of peace. And if it, if it echoes a little bit to uh, what we learned in the book of Proverbs the last couple months, that's okay. But here, we see macro peace. Write down macro peace as a second key idea. Let me show you what I mean. Macro peace. It's for all the people. Peace on earth. We're caught up in cosmic brokenness. Systemic sickness. It covers everything. Last week, we had someone come in to look at the fireplace in our house. We 
I wanted to get the ceramic logs replaced because we thought that it might be one of the reasons we're getting some, call it ghosting, uh, on the walls. Just to clean the fireplace and get it serviced. And, and so we had some people come in to look at it. Because, you know, it's a fireplace and it's Christmas season. It's, it's joy. It's delight. Hanging the stockings. Need the fireplace up and ready to go. And so the designated time came, and the, the great nice guy, Mike, walked in. He walked into the living room. He was about 10 feet away from the fireplace, and he stops and he looks at it. And does this thing with his head. I'm like, great. This is going to be expensive. And it makes these kinds of sounds. Huh. No. And he got down on his knees, and he's kind of in the flashlight, and he's like, huh. And then he gets the phone, and he calls his boss. Hey, uh, yeah, they did, and then, then they did this, and I think there's this. And, and, then, and then this, and then they've got, okay. He's not even there for 10 minutes. He's not even there for 10 minutes. He looks at me, and he says, we're going to call this Condemned. I'm like, excuse me? I just wanted you to sweep it out. <laughs> says, yeah, no, no, it, it's condemned. It violates the fire code on four different levels. First, I thanked God that my wife wasn't there. <laughs> says, yeah, they modified the front. I'm like, dude, this was here when we moved here. I didn't do this. Yeah, they modified the front. You can't put a grate here. They made these changes underneath here, and you're not allowed to do that. They added a, an extra thermostat over here, and he grabbed the actual unit, and he started shaking. He says, it's not even mounted to the wall. I'm like, so can you fix it? <laughs> he says, yeah, and we couldn't even fix it if we wanted to. This, this company's gone out of business. There's no parts for it anymore. Awesome. But I won't charge you. Thanks. He said, the whole thing has to go. The whole thing has to go. There's no swapping this out for this, swapping this out for that. Apparently, when the owner put it in, he'd done his own little modifying along the way. Tweaked this, tweaked that. I knew that they had a dog. He put his own grate up in front of it. And he says, you can't restrict the airflow. That's, you can't do that. He wasn't content to have the experts be the experts. He wanted to do it on his own. As a result, the whole thing now has to go. And I get to pay for it. The whole thing is messed up. And there's no pretending otherwise. Well, you can pretend. You can pretend. It's a macro problem that calls for macro peace. So what is it that the angels said? This is great joy for all people. It's peace on earth. The prince of peace will usher in a macro global peace. Which means I can look to the Middle East and say, man, that's a hot mess. We need to get Jesus at the center of that. Look at the ecological crisis. Man, that's a crisis. Got to get Jesus at the center of that. And until Jesus is at the center of that, there will be no peace. 
talk about global pandemics and sicknesses that of themselves spoke, spoke to a higher crisis and a higher problem that we're not built for isolation. We need to get Jesus at the center of that. He's the great physician. National crises. There is no solution. There is no peace on earth unless Jesus is at the center of that. Because it's a macro problem that calls for macro peace. And I think this is one of the points of the shepherds. This is what the shepherds kind of give to us. Because shepherds should not be at the birth of a king. They don't belong there. Shepherds are outsiders. Shepherds are outcasts. They, they, they live outside of what's going on in the community. They're with the flocks all the time. They're not popular. They're not powerful. They're not political. They're shepherds. And so to see God inviting shepherds to the story means that there's a place for me. I'll get to that. Stop preaching my message for me. I practiced all week. Uh, secondly, um, these shepherds were probably Passover shepherds. The, the lambs that they were taking care of, the flocks outside of Bethlehem, were set apart and set aside to provide the Passover sacrifices. Okay. Jesus is coming as the great Passover lamb. So you got that tie in there too. And as Kathy had said, Jesus is the great shepherd. It's right that shepherds are there shepherding his people. But I have to remember that when I talk about peace, I have to understand that this is peace at a macro level. That's a part of it. Jesus is, in, is coming not just to, okay, Wait till I finish the sermon before you walk out. He isn't coming just to save me from my sins. He's coming to fix the problem, which is global. Peace on earth for all. Macro problem. Macro peace. There's one more and yet I want you to see at the end of chapter 2, after Jesus is born, uh, a little time later, Joseph and Mary are going to travel to the temple for the rites of purification and to dedicate Jesus to the service of God. This is part of the Jewish process. So they're on their way to Jerusalem. They're on their way into the temple. Okay, Still talking about a little baby. It says this in verse 25 of chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. What's that mean? Waiting for the one who will lead Israel out of the hot mess. Restore, heal, deal with the oppression and chaos that is Rome. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. He's the Lord's anointed one, the Prince of Peace. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the, the child Jesus to do uh, for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took the baby up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart 
in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. If we had macro peace, there's probably also what? Micro peace. Me peace. Write that down. A peace at a micro level, a me level, an individual level. Simeon sees the problem, he sees the crisis, he sees the brokenness. He's longing for the consolation of Israel. He's longing for the one who will turn the story, the, 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 the center of the before and the after. And the Holy Spirit has assured him, you will see the one. And so here he is in the temple and he sees Joseph and he sees Mary and at a prompting of the Holy Spirit, that's the one, the baby, that's the one. He washes over and he wraps his arms around this baby. He embraces Jesus. He says, now I have peace. What was broken, what was longing, and what was hurting, now I have peace. I have seen the salvation of the Lord. Global, yes, there is this global aspect of what he is doing and coming to do. Individual, micro, yes. There's peace for me. There's peace for me. If I will but embrace and be embraced by the one who is at the center of the story. It says, for Gentiles and Israel, it's for you, for even the shepherds. The shepherds are told the story. You remember this? Angel said, hey, there's a baby. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill among men. And what did the shepherds say? Let us go and see. They respond to, they obediently respond to the message. Let's leave the night. Let's enter the promise of God. So I want to invite you, invite you to see how, if we can put all this together this morning. Let's put it all together. I'll give you one more fill-in at, at the very end. If, if you lost me in all of my chaos, the first fill-in, a uh, way of peace. Then there's mic macro peace and then there's micro peace. Peace covering everything. But the very bottom, before we do that last fill-in, let me ask you a question. Have you placed Jesus at the center of your before and after? Let me just ask you that question. Is Jesus at the center of your before and after? The center of your story? Do you know what it means to leave the path of death behind and enter into the way of peace? Humbling yourself before Jesus and saying, that's my king. You be the center. In all areas. Because if Jesus isn't the center of everything, he's not the center of anything. There's only one center. And how I talk to my spouse and how I relate to people at work and how I do business 
the center of my thinking, the center of my, my living, the center of my breathing, the center of my health. This is the, the lifetime of repentance, of constantly coming back to the, the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus. I humbled myself before Jesus in the only way a four-year-old can, knowing only what a four-year-old can know, receiving grace when I was so young. But for the 40 years since then, a coming back to, a coming back to, a coming back to. Jesus be the center, Jesus be the center, Jesus be the center. Is he the center of your before and after? the invitation the invitation to the shepherds in the darkest night hey we want to show you something how do we carry that forward then if that's true if Jesus is in the center then we're going to see a before and after a story worth telling something that captivates people's attention, something that arrests their thinking because they're used to false stories, false peace, and false hope, and false love, and false joy. And Jesus, when he's in the center, says, no, this is real peace, and this is real joy, and this is real love. And so as Jesus continues to manifest himself in me and through me for others, what do I need to do? On on the very bottom of your page, write this down. I need to obediently... Share with the world my before and after. Obediently share with the world, macro piece, my before and after. Micro piece. Obedience. By the grace of God, walking that way of peace. This is what Jesus has said. This is what God has promised. I will walk in it. It will seem subversive. It will seem at tension with culture. It will seem at tension with the world. It will seem at tension with so many things that I bump into, but there's a way of peace. Stay with me. Stay with me. Stay with me. Okay? Obedience. Where there's no obedience, you open your life to chaos. Obedience. Share with the world the macro problem. That means engaging with my neighbors, engaging with my coworkers, sharing what? My before and after. This is what Jesus, I put Jesus in the center of my life. You're not going to believe what he did. You're not going to believe what he did. Like Simeon, embracing Jesus. My eyes have now seen the salvation of God. So maybe I'm at a Christmas party and they have a nativity set. Hey, I love nativity sets. Can I tell you what Jesus has done in my life? As you're thinking through and budgeting how you're going to spend this Christmas, because you will spend, right? You'll do some spending. Hey, family, how can we put Jesus in the center of our spending? What what could we do? When Aaron comes up in a little bit to talk about the offering, we're going to invite you to participate in a special way this Christmas. When you're talking with neighbors as you're setting up your Christmas decorations, sharing with the world, it's peace to the world. The great things that he has done. Because the light of Jesus has come. We're on this side of the story now. There was brokenness. 
the Prince of Peace has come and his light has shone upon the world. And now I am called to participate, to take the light of peace to a world in darkness and chaos. And this little light of mine shines. As by the grace of God, I keep Jesus in the center of the story. The battle of Christmas stories has begun. Shine bright. bow and let me pray for you. And Aaron's going to come up and help us get ready for the offering. Father, apart from your grace, we do not know the way of peace. You draw us and you invite us in. Like the shepherds who are on the outside, the outcast. What a message. You call them and beckon them to go and see. Many of us live in the tension like Simeon. We see a world amok and need for its prince of peace. Help us obediently walk this path. A path that shines in the darkest of night. Your light shining through us. Your peace going through us as we participate in this movement of peace until all your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. May we be witnesses this Christmas. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.